Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. I, I really was about ready to say it's Farmer Friday, but it's not Friday yet. It, it only does feels feel. like I it's know. a Friday today. I thought the exact same thing. So for both Darren and me, we've been doing a lot of traveling lately, farmer meetings and stuff like that. And so either I've been hosting the show by myself or Darren's been hosting by himself. So it's a little weird for both of us to be back in studio, but it's nice. And we have air conditioning in here where it's about 90 degrees outside today. And that makes me think about just management of some of our crops late season. We're seeing in our area corn and soybeans start to finish up. Well, we took the last cutting of alfalfa the other day on our farm. Now what do we do for late season management in alfalfa? Our, our our guys that work for us on the farm were asking us this the other day, and I go, yes, excellent question. We need to do something now that we got that alfalfa off the field so we can hopefully have a better, or I shouldn't say better, but at least as good a stand next spring as what we have right now. So we're going to talk a little about weeds, insects, diseases, fertility, all that stuff when it comes to alfalfa today. If you've got any questions for us, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. So we're going to get to the agphd mailbag in just a minute, but the main thing when I start thinking about this alfalfa management deal is just to start with, you got to evaluate your stand and see what you have now. Because like I was saying a minute ago, we can't make the stand better, but we can keep it at least in as good a condition and make sure it produces as many tons as possible for next year. But you got to be realistic about this too and say, all right, if I got a whole bunch of weeds out there, I got great big gaps in my field. Even though you would like to maybe keep that alfalfa stand in for another year, maybe this is the fall to tear it up. And so if you want to, our suggestion is usually do it in the fall. That way you have more moisture and more nutrients going into the spring for whatever crop you want to raise next. When it comes to killing that alfalfa that's out there, if you did want to terminate the stand... You can certainly use Roundup if you have non-Roundup alfalfa, but for years people have talked about either Dicamba or 2,4-D, and that works pretty well, but just keep in mind neither of those is systemic. In other words, are you really truly going to kill that entire root system on the alfalfa plant? Well, at least if you burn everything down now, then winter has a better chance to finish your standoff, but you just got to understand, hey, there probably is going to be, there are going to be some stragglers next spring. So you want to have a management plan in place for that as well. Okay, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, got a series of questions here from Brandon. And he said, first of all, guys, I got a chance to attend your field day this year. thought it was awesome. Uh, He said, one question, is there any way to, to get a list of what all the plots are and what's going to be in them beforehand because it took me a while just to get through everything and plan out which plots to go. I think I could have spent three more days talking to people and learning. 
Well, is there a way? Sure. Um, we're just not planning to do anything like that in the future because a lot of the things come together kind of at the last minute. And we also realize, oh, hey, there is this interesting thing we just notice out in this plot or whatever. So, no, it's really an interactive day that we want people to attend, and then you get to see what's going on that day. But this is also why we encourage people, come early. We start at 7 a.m. for our field day. And I know it's early, but it's one day, and it's so beautiful. Most mornings here in South Dakota in the middle of the summer, a lot of times it's 55, 60, 62 degrees, something like that. It's great. Sun's just coming up. And then when you get there early, you have the chance to kind of look the, the plots over, look the brochure over, or at least the field day guide. And then when we go through the plots, then you kind of know more what's coming. All right. Brandon said, uh, winter wheat questions, man, there. I'll be no-tilling into heavy chop sorghum Sudan grass residue. And I've got some potential concerns about nitrogen tie-up and availability. I'm planning to add back approximately... Uh, the same or the phosphorus removal along with eight gallons per acre of 1034 and fur also considering adding 15 inch spaced in between row cutters to get the most nitrogen in the ground at planting as well which is around 13 gallons of 32 percent four gallons ammonium thiosulfate the point is getting below the residue do you like that strategy number one yes or no yeah, I'm fine with that, but I agree with you on this tie-up thing because you just start talking about 13 gallons of 32%. I mean, what do you have? This is dry no. land, western Nebraska, 60-bushel goal. Yeah, I understand that, but still, what do you have for total pounds there? You got 45 pounds maybe of nitrogen. That's not a lot. Is that going to get tied up in this other straw with no tillage? Uh, yes, it is, especially if it was laid on top of the soil. So that's why, yeah, if you could inject it or something, sure. Okay, then hold that. Then I said, for my nitrogen calculations, I'll assume I'll get around 15 pounds N per 1% of organic matter in usable time. That's April through June. Do you think that's fair? That's, nah, a, that's aggressive. That's, yeah, that's yeah, aggressive. No, no. And then he I said, should I consider fair. this in my nitrogen calculations along with significant residue left in the season? Um, the problem when you raise wheat and figuring that you're going to get a bunch of nitrogen out of the organic matter, a lot of the nitrogen's released out of organic matter in July and August and September. To think that much is going to come out in April and May when it's cold, no chance. Is some going to come out in June? Yes, but not a lot. Yeah, not 15. Do no a pre-sidress nitrate test and get ready with your stream bar if you need more. And now he yes. said, how much of the 32% would you consider in furrow on winter wheat if I skip trying to inject it between the rows in the fall, only depending on a spring stream bar application for nitrogen sulfur? Well, I don't like doing anything in furrow with any crop when it comes to nitrogen because of the salt, especially when we're in a dry land area. So I don't love that idea. If you want to go with a tiny little rate, you can try that. But yeah, I'm not real hip on that that plan. All right, Brandon, thanks for the questions. I guess if you want any more clarification, just uh, email us back, radio at agphd.com. Throughout the show today, our phone lines will be open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We're going to talk about late season alfalfa management. Stay tuned. There's a new kind of crop protection in your territory, and it's always on the hunt. Howler Fungicide unleashes multiple modes of action for proven, broad-spectrum protection against soil-borne and foliar diseases. Start protecting your territory at agbiome.com Howler. 
Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster, that makes your spacing and depth more accurate, and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in, and Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about late season alfalfa management. And I think it's a super important topic. I, I'm thinking about pastures as well. When we get late in the season with any perennial crop being healthy and strong going into the winter or the off season is just really critical. So today we are focusing a little on alfalfa, but a lot of things we talk about here will will work with other crops as well. Let's head over to Wisconsin. Well, if we're going to talk alfalfa, you should probably head to Wisconsin, shouldn't you? Uh, I got Dan Peterson on right now with AgriLiquid. Dan, how you doing? I'm good. A hot day today. The alfalfa is growing fast. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. We took what we yeah. thought was our last cutting this week, but I don't know if this hot weather continues. Who knows? Uh, you know, that's that's one of the big questions. How do you know when to call it quits and when you dare take another cutting? Yeah, no, exactly. That uh, that late summer, early fall cutting management is is so important, and it it's a it's a struggle because you know the weather conditions vary so much year to year, and it can change too depending on the cutting management of uh, of an individual grower. For example. Um, you know, are you in a three-cut system, four-cut, or five-cut, you know, here in Wisconsin? I'm over on the east, uh, north of uh, Milwaukee. It's, uh, it's it, you can, if the weather is good during the summer, if you got lots of growing degree day um, units, you can push a five-cut system, uh, but that really complicates things in the fall. And uh, the main thing is you need to have, those alfalfa taproots need to have sufficient starch uh, and sugar accumulation to be able to withstand uh, the, the winter and then start that regrowth in the spring. So 
I spent many years as a crop consultant, consultant over here working with alfalfa. And one of the main things was make sure you have sufficient growth before you get that first winter kill. And what is sufficient growth? I, I always like to see at least 10, preferably 12 inches of good growth uh, prior to that hardening off process when the nights start getting cold and uh, growth begins to stop. And then you get that winter, you, you know, that first killing killing freeze. If you don't leave that regrowth, um, some, some growers are actually do that intentionally. If you take that off, uh, just assume that your chances of winter kill are going to be high. And I have seen people do that knowing that they're going to take out a stand in the spring. Sure, sure. Yeah, then then you aren't really worried about that. But I, you know, I, I like that idea of 10 or 12 inches of top growth that's healthy and doing well. We've got a lot of areas this year that are awfully dry. And if you're in a dry situation, uh, I think the tendency, and I think rightly so, is to be really conservative on this because that plant's already been under enough stress. What What's your feeling on that if you end up with right. one of those hot, dry well, years? Yeah, and you just hit on a great point, though, with um, with dry weather. Uh, one of the things that uh, here in the upper Midwest, of course, is the importance of, of snow catch. And leaving that 10, 12 inches of, of, snow, of alfalfa uh, stubble out there going into the winter just really does a great job of catching whatever snow you get. And then that is an is a insulating blanket that really makes a huge difference in the ability of the alfalfa to survive. You know, if you get plants out there in dry soil, it gets down to zero degrees, uh, no snow cover, they're going to get desiccated. And it's that desiccation that leads to a lot of winter kill. You know, when we think about stress tolerance in crops during the season, I see such a huge difference where we've got good levels of micronutrients in addition to NPK, sulfur, all those things. How about on alfalfa going into the winter? Are micronutrients just super important at this point? Are you more worried about uh, getting a little bit of NP and K out there? Well, I'm a firm believer in never letting a crop get hungry. But as a general rule of thumb, I would say micronutrients are less important in the fall than they would be uh, in the spring when you're starting rapid growth. Um, so, you know, if your fertilizer budget has some limitations and it must do, I would definitely focus on, on the, uh, the traditional potassium fertilization. Um, but that said, if, if you have some deficiencies out there, let's say, for example, sulfur, if you if that alfalfa is going in the winter pretty pretty hungry for sulfur, uh, you're going to do yourself well by putting on sulfur with that potash, uh, because sulfur is important for uh, protein uh, generation within the plant, and and uh, you know the amino acids in sulfur have to work hand in glove with the nitrogen to make those proteins, and it's those proteins. In the roots, in the roots that really help, they're a factor in winter survivability. So it's not just carbohydrates; it's also proteins. Very good. Yeah, lots of stuff there to to dive through. We're talking with Dan Peterson here with AgroLiquid, getting a healthy alfalfa plant, having sufficient growth having that plant to not be deficient in any nutrition at all, and then trying to, to catch some snow out there, especially when you're in the dry areas and have enough growth out there to do that too. Lots of good stuff there, Dan. We really appreciate having you on again. Okay. My pleasure. You bet. We'll talk again soon. I got Rachel Zuger with us right now with Valent. Rachel, how are you doing today? 
I'm good. How are you? You know, we are doing pretty well here. Still really warm going into the fall. And to me, that gives us a lot of opportunity for killing weeds, for getting some good alfalfa regrowth. Uh, and we're talking late season alfalfa management today. Just a lot of things going on out there. Uh, what what are you seeing and what are you talking to farmers about? Well, currently it's still very hot here too. We're still in the hundreds. So, um, you know, right now a lot of the discussion is last cutting. Are we going to take it or not? But, um, you know, we're starting to ramp up into what can we do? What's our plan to help next year's alfalfa crop? So what can we start to do now to clean up some of those weeds that have come in? And what can we plan on doing, you know, in the fall or spring to really bang up those weeds and help with the competitive nature of our alfalfa crops so we can give it the best advantage? You know, especially as a stand gets a little bit of age to it, we, we hear a lot of growers talking about this, man, my alfalfa still looks pretty good, but there are a few weeds starting to get in there. And if I can take those out, I can get another year or two out of this stand. Well, that's a big deal. That's that's a lot of income potential that you can get out of there and a lot, a lot less cost than, than, of course, reseeding. So when you think about the, the weeds that are out there, is, is it grass weeds? Is it broadleaf weeds, perennial weeds? What are some of the, the ones that you're, sh- you're targeting? here it's going to depend on the nature of the situation of the grower i mean uh you can have the irrigated countries which seem to be this year the all the conversations around the perennial grasses and the annual right and the annual grasses especially ryegrass has been a, a problematic pest and you know and it could be in the drier areas where you're under dryland that's kosher or russian thistle you know those very competitive nuisance weeds that we have to deal with and especially in older stand you have you know the stand's not as competitive you do get those holes in it and things like kochia rustizol prickly lettuce love to come in and make themselves at home and when i think about you know they're all tough weeds to manage and you know we have a few kind of post-emergent options but we need them to be smaller in size to really be effective at it. And so when I start thinking about it, I start thinking about what can I do in the fall so that I can set up those weeds in my alfalfa to get a better control and management in the spring. And things like a good holding pre-emergent product, like um, Chateau is a great example. Uh, If we put that out fall dormant, Fall dormant is the safest. We also have a fall post-cutting label, but you can sometimes knock back your growth. So if you are worried about your regrowth and want to stay, you know, with the recommended 10 to 12 inches, you can wait until that fall dormant timing. And then what you're doing is you're impacting the winter annuals. It's going to hold for a long time, so you're likely impacting the spring annuals, and you're making them smaller. So things like an ACCA uh, herbicide, like Slick Max or Assure can be really effective for your grasses. And hey, Rachel, like we're we're up against uh, oh, we're up against a break here. Uh, let's continue that discussion right after this. If you can hang on for just one minute, we're talking weed control here and other late season alfalfa management tools coming up right after this. What's new from New Farm Longbow EC herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools. 
gives you another Carfentra zone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Early does it. Strong early season defenses against seedling insects and soil diseases are key to a successful season. The leader in in-furrow solutions, FMC, helps protect your fields from the start with a growing portfolio of in-furrow innovations. You can't predict the future, but you can plant for it. Visit your FMC retailer or infurrow.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking late season alfalfa management. We got into the weed control thing. And as you can imagine, uh, it takes a little bit of time to go through all the things that are going on there, especially when we're talking about some tough uh, perennial grasses, annual rye, a number of the different broad leaves that we see popping up out in uh, alfalfa stands like kochia and Russian thistle and some of these. So we've got Rachel Zuger on with Valent and she's kind enough to hang on through the break. Rachel, uh, you were just starting to talk about the grass just a little bit. You talked about Chateau in the fall, but that it's probably a better move to, to wait till it's in that dormancy stage rather than just go right after that first cutting, just to, just to reduce the chance of having injury on the alfalfa on the grass side though, a little different story because you can spray grass herbicides like uh, like Select Max and not not really hurt the alfalfa at all. So I would imagine getting that done sooner is probably a good thing. Yes, you yes, I would agree with that. If your grasses are not 
overly tillered and, you know, heading, pushing heads, things like that, those grass herbicides can be effective for you in the fall. Um, but if they're fairly large, you know, it might not be 100%. And so then you're, you're going to have to start stepping into those kind of fall dormants. And while you're thinking about doing a pre, you can also think about putting a burn down herbicide with them, like Paraquat or even AIM, things like that, that are going to help when those grasses are weakened. But you do want to use something like Select Max or Sure 2 when everything's actively growing. So if it's 100 degrees out, it might not be actively growing. Um, so just think about that when you're thinking about when to use those in the fall. Well, certainly having great weed control out there leads to better quality hay and longer life of stand, less stress and competition on the alfalfa. That, that, that can make a huge deal for you. Uh, Rachel, anything else, I guess, that you wanted to bring up with that? The biggest point is to just remember when you're thinking about fall management of your weeds, um, you're not just thinking about what, you know, you're, you still have present from that season, but you're thinking about setting up your next season. Because if you're going to use a good pre-emergent product, whether it be Chateau or another uh, product out there, you're, you're impacting all those weeds that are going to start germinating either in the winter or in the spring. And you're going to set them back so they're smaller and more readily you're readily able to control them better in the spring when everything gets opened up and you can make another application. So it's a system approach, but that way you're going to get the most out of your products. Yeah, absolutely. We we know what's coming in alfalfa. It's going to look pretty for a while, but sooner or later there's going to be some weeds <laughs> popping up in there. So appreciate the tips. Uh, I've been talking to Rachel Zuger here with Valent. Rachel, thanks for being on today. Really appreciate it. Yes, no problem. Thank you for having me. Talking late season alfalfa management, but you know what? In uh, in other perennials, like out in grass, there get to be some problem weeds from time to time. Got our friend Jim from South Dakota on right now with a question about the dreaded sandbird, Jim. Now, let me ask you: Are you out there walking around? And they're catching on your pant legs? Is that what is that what's bringing up this call? Or are you just thinking from well, past experience that sandbird could be a problem? No, that's exactly right. In my shorts too, and then they get in your shoes because. You know, I wear shorts a lot this time of year. You can move a little easier. You know, it's hot out. Let me tell you, it's 90 out right now. Here. It is. And it dry. is. And, and my, I got big, great Pyrenees dogs here. And their paws are as big as your hand, you know. And uh, this is Darren, right? Yep. The boss gone or? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, my wife's at home, Jim. But if you're talking about my brother, oh. he's across the table from me here. <laughs> Well, I haven't heard him talk yet. I've been listening, and I, I think <laughs> he's just over there smiling, Tuesday. just thinking, "Oh yeah, uh, you can have them. Uh, you can have those yeah. sandbirds caught in your socks and your shoes and your pant legs." <laughs> so, are we talking Ryan, about? Nice now. Are we talking about lawn yeah. grass? Or are we talking about in the, the in the ditches or and around the the trees in the farm? We got quite a bit of trees around our farm, and uh, you know the brome is there, and we spray two four D early in the year. And I know sandburrs come later on this light ground, and uh, and usually about August, end August, they start popping up. They're doing that, and uh, you can only mow it so low. You hate to mow it too low, and uh, they seem to pop right up and put a few out anyway. Is there anything we can spray without killing the, the brome and stuff? Hey, I would I would throw this in too, Jim. That's that's one of the things I was going to talk about. And and normally, like if we're talking about a lawn, I I, I just advise people look 
don't cut your grass so low. Let it get a little bit taller and fertilize well. But I know when you're talking about out in a tree belt, uh, the odds of that getting a whole lot of fertilizer for the grass, uh, the grass is just kind of there to to keep the weeds out to some degree. And so do, doing whatever we can to have good, healthy grass is the big thing where we can. And, um, you know, with sandbur, that's one that generally pops up a little bit later. And uh, so obviously now we're seeing the burrs, but uh, usually that's getting a good start in late June and into early July. So that's the time that I'm thinking is the best time for us to have a shot to try and kill that. So different things that we've done in grass have been things like quinclorac or drive. That would be a common product to use. Pendimethylin is, is oftentimes used. Even mesotrione is, is being used more widely in lawn grass sprays. Uh, and that one's kind of fun because it's almost like a revenge kill where you can actually turn the grass white. I kind of like seeing that too. Yep. So those are all options. And then there's also plateau. That's probably the number one product that we talk about plateau. in brome grass that will kill sandbur out there. So it's not going to kill the perennial grass you've got, but it will kill some of those annuals like sandbur. So, yep, not you got a few options. Meso. Mesotrion, is that a group 15? Mesotrion, that's a group 27. That'd be an HPPD. Uh, it, Callisto is the name brand product. Okay, Callisto. Okay. I yep. use that in corn. Yep, exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I miss you out there at Freeman, Brian. Good nice time. Well, you know what, Jim? Two weeks ago. Uh, yep. Yep. Um, it's a busy time of year. So we got a lot of thing, got a lot of things going on. I try to be all places, uh, that I, I want and need to be, but yeah, on that particular day, Jim's talking about a farmer meeting we were doing relatively close to where our, our farm is at about an hour away or so in Southeast South Dakota. That was the day that my daughter, it was moving into college and I didn't want to miss that. So anyway, Oh, uh, I don't. I, I don't blame you. I, I will tell you this: it was it was really interesting. So she's going to South Dakota State University. They have things set up now, so you pull up with vehicles, and you got all the stuff that has to get moved in the dorm. Well, I remember how that was. I was on the fourth floor of a dorm back when I moved to college. Fourth floor and no elevator, so you had to carry everything <laughs> up the stairs, couch, and you know all the stuff. Well, now they have elevators in a lot of the dorms, and but the other big thing is they, they come out with these big carts, and they have all these student volunteers. Well, I shouldn't say volunteers. They're paid to do it. Uh, but anyway, they have all these carts, and literally I got there, get all the stuff out of the vehicle. I go park the vehicle. By the time I walk back, it's already in her room. It's amazing. So anyway, a lot of places are getting really organized like that, and it, it just makes the move-in day so much better. So anyway, sorry to go off on the, uh, the, the that topic. No, I know we're talking agronomy good. here, but yeah, that's where I was at that day. That's good. No, it was a, a beautiful facility. Planning, going to a lot more stuff. It's just great. And Darren did a great job, and uh, um, oh, your, your research guy, oh, gosh. Yeah, Glenn, Not, Glenn uh, probably Glenn hers. Glenn, he's yep. wonderful too, and I chat chat with him, and boy, he he uh, even if he's from North Dakota, he's still pretty smart. He, uh, <laughs> well, he's been in South Dakota for a long time, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's rubbed off from you too. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. Thanks for the right. call, Jim. Appreciate well, thank it. Thank you. Yep. Bye, guys. <laughs> hey, back to the weed control thing here in alfalfa, and I think you know okay. here's one of the things, Brian. I I really want to see farmers getting after it much earlier and rachel brought up a great point uh she said when you've got heads on these grass weeds and you right, get lots right, of tillers right. 
it's going to be pretty tough to get them under control. Definitely. And then, you know, you look at where Rachel's at. She said they're still getting 100-degree temps. It's 90 here. It's pretty tough to kill weeds when it gets that hot, too, especially if it's dry. They just aren't taking in that product. Right. So the things that we talk about all the time are you want to start with a good pre, like when you seed the alfalfa, put Eptam down. Please put Eptam down. That's going to help you so much. And then you want to be spraying relatively early post each year to keep things under control. So hopefully late in the season, you don't have a big issue, especially if you've done everything you can to raise the best alfalfa possible. But if you let weeds go at all, not only do you have the tonnage loss, not only do you have a tougher time killing them and maybe have to use higher rates and spend more money, but the other big problem is your stand starts to thin out and you lose your stand earlier and you lose tonnage earlier. So anyway, yeah, there are a lot of great reasons to get those weeds under control early in the season talking about late season alfalfa management on our show today and we're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. When it comes to your tillage equipment, stop compromising and start doing more in one pass. New from McFarlane Ag, the Insight 5200 with an independent blade configuration lets you get more done in less time. Ideal for rocky or sticky soil, the 5200 has two sets of independently mounted blades adjustable up to 12 degrees, a unique chopping reel, and five different finishing attachments, giving you the perfect seedbed. Learn more about the Insight 5200 by visiting McFarlaneAg.com today. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. 
with efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about late season alfalfa management, but you've heard us talk a little about silage recently too. Should be cutting some silage on our farm maybe as soon as next week here. I uh, get some questions though around silage. Uh, this one comes in from Jim uh, over in eastern Minnesota. He said, all right, guys, you're talking about this grain silage. And my, my first question is, uh, why cut the whole plant down if you could potentially harvest the corn by itself and that could be even more valuable? Do you, is silage worth more money than what grain corn is worth or is it in the end worth about the same? Yeah, it's going to be worth more if you're taking the whole plant. So a lot of times... You don't get paid more as the farmer than the grain corn, but then somebody will come in and custom cut it for you, and then you get some manure back too. So, I mean, it reduces your cost, and so you, you get don't, some manure. So you don't have the expense of running a combine right. across the acres. Somebody else is going to do the harvest for you. So you don't have the labor, the time, all that. You don't have to truck the grain. There's all those other expenses. So, yeah, it ends up being a little bit less expense. So uh, he's got a few other questions, and he said um, – Basically, how do you guys decide what your rotation is going to be? I know you're doing some cover crops now after the silage. Is that possible after anything else that you're growing? Uh, just, uh, just Only wondering. small grains. Yeah, so if we aren't harvesting in, let's call it July, August, or real early September, there's no point in putting a cover crop out if you're harvesting sometime in October and you're going to have freeze up just shortly after that. We have no growing season left. There's no heat units left in our area once you get into October, so... I mean, at least most years. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in our area. In other areas, sure. But, I mean, anyway, so I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But, but yeah, after silage now, we have just decided, like, literally the day after that uh, cutting gets done in a field, we're out there seeding some oats. He was just asking as well, how do we pick what we're going to do for crops? And really, we're trying to maximize our income on our farm. We're also looking at, hey, we might need a different crop to rotate in here if we've got a disease issue like Goss's wilt, yep. for example. We would rotate to soybeans so we didn't have that potential. Or white mold in soybeans, if we have a problem, we'd like to rotate out of that into a different crop that's not susceptible. So we have some of those things. And occasionally, we'll do something just a little bit different. If we know we've got a bunch of drainage work to do out in a field, we may plant a crop that we can harvest a little earlier to allow us to, to get out in there just a little sooner to try to deal with drainage issues too. So yeah, a lot of reasons why we'll choose what we do. And, um, you know, typically we'd been in a corn and soybean rotation. We're going a little heavier on corn now because we got the opportunity with a nearby dairy that needs silage and that's been a profitable venture for us. So I think we may continue doing that for some time now. Thanks for the questions, Jim. Thanks for watching our show too. We really appreciate it. Let's get back to the phone lines here. Uh, we've got Rocky Lima sound with us right now down at Mississippi State University, and we're talking about late season management and alfalfa. Now, for us, Rocky, this is getting to be late season here, but maybe down in Mississippi, you got got a ways to go. Yeah, we got a ways to go still. We probably get another uh, one cut, maybe two, depending on the weather. So we usually don't start thinking about late season management, especially potassium application, until probably uh, mid to late October. 
All right. I love that you mentioned potassium because I know this is the one negative. We've got some alfalfa on our farm. Our one negative is, man, it does take a lot of fertility out of the ground, no doubt about it. Now, granted, you're getting paid for the alfalfa, so you can afford to put a little fertilizer back. Is it mainly K that guys are running short on in, in uh, three, four, five-year rotations down there? Uh, usually, you know, most of the time potassium is going to be our most limited factor here. Uh, usually phosphorus, we, if we need to, we, you know, we do a salt test at the beginning of the year uh, before we plant our alfalfa in the fall. And if we need phosphorus, we usually do that. And we come back every two years and, and check it. And most of the time, if we need phosphorus, it's very little amount. We're looking 20, 30 pounds of phosphorus breaker. So it's not a lot of phosphorus removal that we see with alfalfa in our region, but we do see that with potassium, especially uh, on the uh, first year of growth after the fall planting. We usually cannot reach about six six harvests in a year, so it's a, we're really removing a lot of potassium. Yeah, six cuttings is awesome. That's <laughs> that would be really fun uh, to be able. To, now, some people, if you're bailing it up, you might say, "No, no, no, it's not so much fun, Darren. We wish we had a shorter season, but uh, it, it would be pretty fun, I think." Okay, so uh, fertility is obviously a big thing. Uh, what are some of the other things that that you look at if you want to have a successful stand? You want to keep it more than two or three years. You want to keep it four or five years. Uh, is disease a big thing there that you're worried about the health of that crown and and the plant in general? Uh, you, you know, with most of the issues, the disease pressure that we see is when those plants are really young in the first year. Once they get established, we don't see a lot of losses unless we get a really, really wet spring where we see a lot of root rot or sometimes rhizotonia coming in there. Uh, I think one of the major problems that we have is uh, our armyworms, especially in the fall. So we have to be very uh, vigilant this time of the year, armyworms, and scanning those fields to make sure that that we see army worms coming there that we can go ahead and, and, and spray with an insecticide to control the army worms before they do a lot of damage. You know, we did get a lot of calls about army worms in different parts of the country this year that they were bad and, and guys were getting after them. Uh, one of the questions that we got was uh, for farmers that really liked spraying Lors Ban, hey, we don't have Lors Ban anymore. What are you finding as good alternatives? What are what are the products that are working for army worms? Are you using pyrethroids or something different? The Pyrotroids work really well for us. Uh, probably like a Master Max does very well. Baytroid does does very well for us. You know, one thing that I tell producers is, depending on when we see the the army worms in the station and when they're planning to do the next uh, harvest or cutting, they need to plant accordingly because some of these insecticides might have from zero restriction to seven days all the way all the way to 28 days. So depending on what stage of cutting that alfalfa might be, then we try to select an insecticide that will fit into those those restrictions uh, uh, for hay. All right. It's a little bit different in Mississippi versus in South Dakota, where we know we're going to freeze. We're probably going to have a couple feet of snow laying across that field uh, at some point. But we like to get a little bit of growth on the alfalfa just to make it through that that uh, off season. We know the winter can be hard. How about in Mississippi? Do you have a certain amount of growth that you like to see on there? Or do you just say, here's a date that we just quit cutting after this date? Well, my recommendation is that your last cutting should be probably the last week of October, uh, maybe the first week of November. I do not recommend to cut after that uh, because you put a lot of stress on that root system is you starting to remove so much nutrients late in the season. Uh, and, and one thing for us, because we don't get as cold as you guys get in Iowa, because you know we, we might get a little bit cold in the late 
December, early January, but it's not as as tall as you guys. Uh, we like to see growth. I like to see at least uh, six to eight to ten inches growth in that plant, and we let it go from there. Sometimes people say, "Well, should I cut it?" No, just let it go. It's going to stay green most of the time during the winter winter time, and just let it go and recover, and and, and then we come back in the spring and then start managing that off off again. Yeah, a lot of great tips here. We're talking to Rocky Lemus down at Mississippi State. Rocky, anything I left out thinking about late season alfalfa management? I, I, well, I think one of the things is that uh, depending where you're at, you know, a late, a late cutting really can impact your stand, even if it's a one-year-old or maybe three years old. So making sure that you have a timing cutting that it's not going to put so much stress in that alfalfa is going to be very critical. Yeah, it's a big deal, no no doubt about that. In uh, Mississippi, that's right around November 1st, uh, but here it's closer to September 1st, so we're kind of nearing that point where a lot of growers in the north are, are considering taking their last cutting here on alfalfa. Uh, we're talking with Rocky Lemus down at Mississippi State. Rocky, always great having you on. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a good day. You too. Brian, I think that's uh, pretty universal. A lot of guys like to see around 10 inches of growth at the end of the season on that alfalfa, just letting it be good and healthy and strong going into the off season. Yep. And other things that we would talk about is fungicide application, spraying for bugs. If there are insects out there taking a look at, all right, should we add some more fertility? Like potassium is a big one. I know potassium doesn't move much in the soil, but it definitely moves some if you have some moisture and especially in lighter soils. So these would all be things that I would be considering for applications right now. All right, we are wrapping up our conversation on late-season alfalfa management, but we're just getting into the Ag PhD mailbag. we got a bunch of questions here to get through, and we still have time for your call or question, too, at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Compromise is nice. If you're at the playground or scouring yard sales. But farmers know better that middle grounds have no winner. That's why there's Revitech fungicide. Fast acting and long lasting. Preventative and curative. Disease control and stress reduction. So leave the settling to little Tommy at the seesaw, an old bargain bill. And take your full prize in yields with Revitech fungicide for uncompromised performance. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What if your herbicide was easy to mix and tough for weeds to resist? Anthem Flex Herbicide from FMC offers the most effective mode of action for spring and winter wheat, delivering long-lasting control of grasses and broadleaf weeds, including Italian ryegrass, rat-tail fescue, and downy brome, plus weeds typically resistant to glyphosate and Group 1 and Group 2 herbicides. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zeal Pro Miticide from Valent USA. 
With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. That's where we take your calls and questions at either 844-44-AG-PHD if you'd like to chat with us, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. That's exactly what Kevin did. Kevin said, guys, I got a nitrate question for you. I've got a landlord who doesn't want me to apply any nit- nitrogen because he's worried it will cause nitrates to become harmful for his cows. So what causes nitrate levels to be high and be unsafe for cattle feed? I'm specifically talking about raising forage sorghum. I just need a little education so I can have a reasonable discussion. This is going to sound strange, but I think you're going to have more nitrate problem with the problems with the cattle if you apply no nitrogen as opposed to if you apply a normal rate. And you might say, what? How can that possibly be? Well, here's how. Because if you don't get your crop off to a good start, it's going to turn out to be junk. And then later in the year, when a whole bunch of nitrogen comes available through soil organic matter mineralization, which always happens, that nitrogen will get pulled into the plant, isn't getting used properly. And then you've got high nitrate levels in uh, in any silage or anything like that. So I, I, I just say... What we're trying to accomplish is putting the right amount of nitrogen out for the crop. What happens sometimes is, let's say you put 200 pounds out, you're expecting 200 bushel corn or 180, whatever nitrogen is going to get used. Okay, it all sounds like a great plan, except for you have drought and you only get 80 bushel corn. And so you've got all that nitrogen that got pulled into the plant, especially later in the year. And where is it able to go? You don't have any ear. You don't have, I mean, the, the normal ear, you don't have the normal kernels and all that. So the, the, the key isn't applying none. The key is applying the appropriate amount and making sure that you're, if, if you're worried about it, I'd just say spoon feed. So get some out to get the crop off to a good early start when you know you have moisture. And then later on, if it looks like, okay, I'm going to have a decent crop, then you keep putting a little bit more nitrogen out and then you've got that nitrogen level appropriate for your yield. And this, this is going to hold true with corn, with sorghum, with any crop out there. 
All right, thanks for the question. Get this one in from Robert over in Wisconsin. He said, guys, you talk about grid soil sampling. Uh, I haven't done that. I, I found that a lot of the operators just aren't putting on fertilizer the way it's supposed to. Do you think that's a common problem now? Do you no. think equipment is getting much better for yes, that? it is. And then also, if I put pounds of fertilizer on based on removal for one bushel, if I just get it out in the field, does it really make that much difference to try to spread it for each grid? Yes, it makes a tremendous amount of difference because yields aren't going to be the same in each grid. And the current fertility that's there isn't the same in each grid. I, I mean, I can give you a million examples, but I'll, I'll just give you this simple one because this is off our own farm where it's common where I've got 100 to 200 parts per million of phosphorus. Adding more phosphorus isn't going to help, especially when I've got low zinc levels and low copper levels because we know that having... Uh, phosphorus to zinc and phosphorus to copper, those things in ratio makes a tremendous difference. So I can actually save money in the short term, not put the phosphorus out, spend the money more wisely by putting some zinc and copper out. Now I gain more yield and I made a lot more money. And in a year like this where I don't want to overdo anything because I think fertilizer is just, I mean, it's expensive. I didn't mind it two years ago. So two years ago right now, we loaded up everything because fertilizer was at a 15-year low. So we just said, all right, let's get our phosphorus levels built up, our K, everything else. I don't want to do that right now. I just want to fertilize appropriately for the crop so I can be as profitable as possible. All right, thanks for the question. Get this one in from Richard out in Nevada. And Richard said, I've got a, a vegetable garden at my house out here in the desert west. And, and each year I end up with tomato hornworms. Uh, and I've got to pick them off my tomato plants. This year, I've got four grapevines, and the hornworms are going after the grapevines. I didn't know they would attack uh, not their normal food and go after a different type of plant. Uh, and he said, by the way, my worst garden pest is horses, but I do enjoy them. Hey, thanks, Richard. Really appreciate that. And we do see that, too, sometimes where you've got a bug that attacks one crop that you're not really expecting it's going to attack a different one. Uh, that's why we talk a lot about insects and just scouting all the time and, and just watching. There's always an unusual one that pops up. And even for vegetable crops, there are a lot of labeled insecticides like the pyrethroids. And keep in mind, the pyrethroid it basically was an extraction out of the chrysanthemum flower because they found something in the chrysanthemum flower that was controlling insects, and they basically made a synthetic reproduction. That's what pyrethroids are. So anyway, there are labeled insecticides if you want to go that direction, and then you just have to follow the pre-harvest interval. Surprisingly, with some of the vegetables, it's only a day or two, uh, maybe a week, for a pre-harvest interval, which just shows you that these pesticides are actually quite safe. But again, when you start thinking about it the other way around, when it came from a chrysanthemum flower, it's like, oh, okay, I get it. It's it's this natural thing that we've been able to replicate and get to use in our crops. I get this question in from Dustin. He said, guys, I hear you talk about scholarships from time to time. When do you do scholarship events where kids could potentially win or earn scholarships? Uh, I've got a daughter that's a junior, but very involved in the farm and certainly interested in extending her education. Scouting and scholarships is our new annual event that we're doing each year in June. Prior to that, we'd been doing collegiate workshops in the winter, but it's hard when a lot of these young people are in college, in class. Plus, we want to take them outside 
and actually do some scouting and show them some things in the field. So we do a little bit inside, a little bit outside. But yeah, it's it's an event we're doing the last Saturday in June each year. Scouting and scholarships, you can look for more information on that as we get into 2023. All right, got a question or a couple of questions here. Oh, hey, wait a second. Oh. Uh, do you remember how many scholarships we gave away? It was 50, yeah, 70? Some, I don't know. It, it was a lot. Yeah, it was so. it was a lot this year. But, but anyway. Uh, but we do have a lot of interest in that too. So it's we like, a, yeah. certainly not a guarantee, but, uh, but you got pretty good odds. Yep, but we like to combine the learning with, hey, there is a reward here, and a lot of kids are going to go away with scholarships. All right, uh, I get this one from F.O. who said, uh, guys, uh, in sweet corn, specifically ambrosia, uh, is it Roundup Ready? If not, what else could I spray for weeds? Well, first of all, ambrosia is not Roundup Ready. I don't know if there's a Roundup Ready version that's come out recently, but to my knowledge, that's a non-GMO variety. Uh, so you've got to look at just conventional herbicides. Like I, I like to put down a group 15, like a harness, for example, for grass control. You put that down... Um, preferably uh, right after planting or right before planting. Uh, I'd like to lightly till it in, so I'd like to put it on right before planting. And then post-emerge, you could use something like Callisto to kill the broadleaf weeds out there. That one has a little bit of residual as well. Uh, you want to spray that one probably about the time the corn's got maybe four or five leaves on it uh, and the weeds are four inches tall or less. And if you do that, those two steps, you generally have pretty clean sweet corn fields. And thanks for the question, F. Oh, did you have any? Uh, do you have any other comments, Brian? Is there anything you'd prefer to use rather than that? I think those are fairly safe on sweet corn overall. Yes. Yep. Yeah. You just have to be a little bit careful what you're doing. I, I a lot of times will talk about impact rather than uh, some of the other HPPDs because I like impact. It's in my opinion the safest one on sweet corn. All right, had a lot of questions about Roundup, Brian, uh, and there's a lot of buzz around the industry. The Roundup was tight last year. Is Roundup going to be in tight supply? We've had a few questions come in along that. And Well, uh, I, I, I mean, at this point, it does not appear so. But at this point last year, we didn't think Roundup was going to be tight either. And then a hurricane hit, and all of a sudden, Bear's big plant down in New Orleans was shut down for weeks. So as long as there isn't some something unusual, I don't think there's going to be a supply issue with glyphosate, no. Yeah, it's, a, it's interesting. This time of year, we're starting to hear seed corn prices. Sounds like seed corn prices are going to be a little higher this year, maybe as much as a 10% increase. But by the same token, we, we just look at, well, okay, uh, so prices are up. How much is that really going to cost per acre? It's not that big a jump per acre, especially when you look at what today's commodity prices are. So just like what we were talking about a minute ago on the fertility, how we just look at each acre a little bit differently on the farm. What's the productivity of that acre? What's holding thing? What's holding back your production in that one particular acre? And then make adjustments. Just like we can do variable rate fertility maps, we can do variable rate planting population maps as well. And in corn, typically the, the areas that are producing the most yield, we go with a little higher population on corn. And in the poor areas, we go with a little lower population. We generally shoot for seven to 10 bushels per thousand corn seeds that we put out there. And then in soybeans on our farm, we do just the opposite. In the poor areas, we usually plant a little bit thicker, and in the great areas, we're a little concerned about white mold, so we plant them just a little bit thinner. Adjusting plant population can certainly keep your costs under control. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.